Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. And uh, we are going to be in God's Word today. I'm going to be in chapter 11 of Corinthians. Before I do, I'm going to take a little drink of water. We love the fall season, but boy, the throat, corn pollen, whatever it might be, growing ears on the side of my head because of all the corn pollen. Hey, you know, uh, I want to begin by praising the Lord for just answer prayer. So many people are praying, 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 as we should. Amen. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for his church body. And and just I personally appreciate those who let me know, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. I, I don't know if you've known it or sensed it or not. These past few weeks, my, my heart's been heavy. I, I just, you know. And there's something I was told when I was young, and I didn't believe it till I got older, is that it's harder to sleep the older you get. I'm like, really? Ah, come on. That's just an excuse to take a nap in the afternoon. <laughs> but, man, I tell you, I, I, if I wake up at four, before, after 4 o'clock, if I'm awake at 4, and then I'm awake until, I'm like, okay, why am I fighting this? Why don't I just get up? And, uh, and so, anyways, last night I probably had the most relaxing sleep that I have had in quite a long time. Um, and what was really cool about it, it was a dream that God gave to me. And it was, I'm not a dreamer, like some people moving a prophetic. I mean, I dream, but it's like flying pizzas or something, you know, it's like, what's that, you know? Uh, but this was the Lord ministering to me through a dream last night. And I was in a city and I was walking with a, must have been like a planning commissioner or somebody like that, and I had a set of blueprints, and or he had a, a planning of the county or the city map or something, and, and we were discussing about locating and relocating a, a, a church building on the property, and, and we were standing near this, uh, there was a stadium there, and I was like, hey, what's going on here? Well, Billy Graham's in town this week, and he's speaking at the stadium, and I was like, wow, it's it's awesome. I'm going to have to go to this. And so I went to the, that evening, it was a, a night service. And so I go to the stadium and, and his message, he's preaching and he's talking about, you know, rising above our struggles, rising above our earthly issues that we battle with on this earth. And, and Billy Grant kept saying, you need to rise above it. Like a rocket rises above the earth. You need to rise above these issues in your life. And, and the crazy part is, as he was saying this, he himself was rising up in the sky. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, how did you do that? You know? And, but he's rising. And, and then next thing you know, I'm seeing it from his view, looking down, it's a dark night, stars everywhere, and he's looking down on a stadium full of believers have gathered. And the crazy part was, as you look down, as I was looking down, each person or a couple or a few that were standing there, all of a sudden they got really bright white, like a LED light, and all of a sudden they just, phoom, then phoom, phoom, phoom. They were getting raptured, one after another after another. And I was in awe watching this, and then instantly I was in the living room, I was sitting in one chair, my wife is sitting in the other, and then next thing you know, I'm not seeing it from, from the aerial view. Now I'm seeing it, the aerial view on the screen in front of me at TV. And and all of a sudden I see it, and I stand up, and my wife stands up, we turn to each other, we put our hands in each other and said, It's time for us to leave now. Anyway. And that the craziest part was it wasn't the visual that really hit me as much as all of a sudden, this weight, and it was almost like my spirit was lifting out of my body at the time. It was just like this, this sensation of the rapture, just boom. And I mean, I woke up just like, wow, what was that? 
And, and I mean, I physically felt this crazy sensation and I, I got up, went in another room, turned the light on, come back, and I thought, man, there's no way I'm going to be able to get back to sleep. It's only 4 o'clock, 4.10. And I just said, Lord, you say you give your beloved sleep. I need sleep. And would you help me? And I just went right back into sleep, which is very unusual in itself. And in that dream, and I'm not going to tell you all about that dream, but it, just the, the immediate detail part, there's this, there's this lake that never ended. It just was this long lake. There was some asphalt. There was ground, and it kind of went split in a road. And there was like a tree, swampy area here, and one over here, different quadrants. And, and they were like, you could see something was happening. They were being transformed like... like uh, I don't know, the Lord was just transforming the nature that I was looking at, and I, that's very strange, and I kind of explained to this guy in my dream about the dream of the rapture I just had, and that was kind of strange. You know, I'm like, okay. And I told him, I said, man, I just felt so light that I feel like I could fly again. And in my dreams, I, I'm a, a flyer, I fly in my dreams, and uh, but it's been a long time since I've flown, it's been very weighted down, very heavy, and and I just, just go like that. I mean, I wasn't flying anywhere. I was just right there. Just, and I was flying right there. And he's just like, wow. And, and I stopped and I stand next to him. And, and I said, man, I just, and I just, poof, and I jumped. And I probably went higher in the ceiling, just slowly, peacefully, gracefully. Now, the funny part was, he said, that probably helps a lot during volleyball games. <laughs> I'm serious. Like that's what he said. I'm like, where did that go? I'm still trying to get that interpretation. But uh, but I just I just stayed up there and floated for a while, and 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 I I needed to do that. I needed to fly again in my dreams. I needed to, um, yeah, just feel like whew, the Lord is soon to come back, and we will glow brightly and. In the twinkling of an eye, we're gone. And I'll tell you, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> he gave that to me last night, a few hours before the service. And, and I think a big part of it was because, you know, I have to address an issue going on here and issues that have gone on that we're in Brown County. Everybody's already aware of it. However... As you know, Pastor Randy uh, stepped down from ministry two weeks ago. At that time, I wasn't ready to address anything. You know, I, I, I just felt like, you know what, Tim, you need to just wait. You need to calm your emotions. Don't move in the flesh. Move in the spirit. Be patient. Pray through. And for two weeks, I just fasted and prayed and just worked through Scripture that the Two weeks before today, including today, the Lord gave me back in August to preach during the interim between the book of Acts and the book of Romans, we will be going. And I want to say this about Randy's stepping away. The Lord raises up and the Lord takes down. And the Lord had to deal with an issue, a very private issue in, in the life between Randy and Kristen that cannot be dealt with in a church setting. And my desire for you is that we pray for him. We love him. We uphold him. We lift up he and Kristen in her life, their marriage, that God will strengthen and help them and just raise them up. And so we have two different issues. One issue is something that God's trying to do in Randy and Kristen's life, which you cannot be in a work environment without carrying that into that environment as well and the stress that comes with that. But at the same time, there was tension is probably the best word. There's just tension, inner office tension. And you know what the biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons for the tension is? Because I have a staff that's going 200 miles an hour between not only work, but also between ministry days. They, they don't get to worship with their families like you and I get to worship with our families. Well, maybe like you get to worship with your families. My worship is a little different because I'm up here my wife's down there. Um, and so even when they're here on church, 
You know, Missy may clean on Thursday and Friday, but I'll tell you what, as soon as there's a spill in a fellowship hall, they come to get Missy. So she's always on a job. She's always there. You know, we're out of paper towels. We're out of, you know, it's just a constant um, grind where you're not, you become weary in well-doing. And, and when we get weary in well-doing, all of us, including and especially me, we can get frustrated. And when your family, I don't know, anyone belong to a family here? Anyone? Anyone belong to the perfect family? No. We, whenever there's family, there's also, there's also just challenges. And, uh, and, and we're family, and, and we love each other. And I love them, and they love me, and we love the Lord's work. And, uh, but that tension's there. And in the two weeks, as far as, you know, the Randy stepped down, and I had two weeks of time of fasting and prayer, just saying, God, how do I, how do I handle this? There's only now. I didn't find out till after last Sunday that there was this issue that needed dealt with, and so that's good, and that that can be prayed for and dealt with, and and they need to be in whatever environment outside of a staff position that they need to be in for God to deal with that. But at the same time, we need to move forward for the glory of God, all of us. But it's very hard when you can't deal with something properly because you got eight million things you got to deal with. There's a time in all of our lives where we just need to decompress. We just need to unplug. We just need to say, you know what? I need to come up for air. Overwhelmed means to be underwater. And last week, that's, that's what I did. I afforded my staff an opportunity to just don't worry about ministries. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about anything. Just worry about making sure there are no issues moving forward and that everybody can can go seek each other just make sure that there are no issues that because you know what we don't need issues amongst ourselves as a staff in the office we need to be able to move together as a team we need to be able to lead you as a team we need to be able to set the example and so that's what this week has been about you know and bonnie bless her heart i, I don't think in the past four years or maybe three years I don't think she's taking a full week off. She's taking a day here or there. But to take a full week off and just go decompress. And here's, here's one thing I believe. You may have noticed, we don't have any bulletins today. But it's all right. It's all right, isn't it? We will survive without the bulletins today, right? And any other holes and areas that you see aren't being met or aren't plugged in or, or whatever, it shows you the amount of impact that they have uh, in this ministry here. They have a huge impact. But I needed to give them time to deal with things, to decompress, for me to decompress, for all of us to say, lay aside our emotions, walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, and just come together. Even when the dust flies, the dust will settle. settle. Come together and we say, all right, now, how do we move forward from here? And that's what we've been doing, and we are going through that process. And we covet your prayers for that process. But I'm here to tell you, and I hope that you convey it to anyone and everyone and ask you, I am not mad at my staff. As a matter of fact, I am very honored with my staff. I'm very proud of my staff. I'm very proud of the fact that I had some expectations that I asked them to take care of, and they have taken care of it. I thank them for the fact that they are moving forward, that they have taken care of some issues that I just felt for their sake and the sake of others and for my sake, sake of the body, for all of us, they needed to address things I need to address. And I am so super proud of them, and I'm so super thankful that, you know why? Because it shows me their heart. The heart of Jesus says, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll humble myself. I'll take care of this. I'll go do this. And it, get, it reinsures something I already believed in my heart, and I still believe. And so I, I'm very proud of them. I honor them. I respect them. I bless them. And I will tell you this. If there's anything that you say, oh, this isn't done today, that's not done today, here's a problem. There's, listen, everything rises and falls on leadership. If there's a problem here, start with me. I'm the problem. Yes, I said, everybody, take a break. And if you don't like the problems that may have been created because of that, jump in and mop up that spill. Jump in and do whatever. But I, 
I will tell you that we are working through this, and we will work through this, and we will have a coming together and continue to come together and still keep praying. And all I know is that if God can do this in my heart and cause me to be able to fly again, then he could do it in all of our hearts. If we all commit ourselves to bond together in prayer and move forward and say, Lord, lift our burdens, lift our spirits, help us not to be weary in well-doing. Help us to realize that none of us are the enemies. There is only one enemy, and that is Satan himself. He is the enemy. And he is the accuser of the brethren to the throne of God day and night. And he accuses us to God. And you know, the, only, the worst part of that is whenever Satan tells on me, that's probably the only time he's not lying. Have you ever thought of that? Tim's done this. Tim's done that. And I'm like, yeah. And Jesus says, but I died for those sins. And I say hallelujah for that. He's the accuser of the brethren for us to God. He's the accuser of the brethren for us to each other. And he'll say things about you to someone else and someone else about you. And then he's accuser of brethren us to ourselves. I'm no good. I can't do this. I'm a wreck. I have, you know, he's, he, he's a punk. And I can't wait till God tells him to go home. Amen? It's a nice way of telling him where to go. I want to be there to help him when he boots him into the lake of fire. I want to get my licks in there too. Come on. But in the meanwhile, we are a family. I love and respect each of you, whether you're on a music team, whether you're working in a nursery, whether you're working in a cafe, whether you hand out bulletins, whether you're church administrator or youth leader or janitor or custodian. I don't even know the terms for these. All I know is this. I love you. I respect you. I'm not going anywhere. So we've got to work through this. Amen? We've got to work through it. We can. We can work through it. And I'm going to give God the glory. And I want to set the example of my personal life to be sure that I am humble, to be sure that I deal with things and seek forgiveness and make sure I deal with things that God tells me, Tim, you've got to deal with this. Because you can't avoid it. You've got to deal with it. Right? Yes, if you're visiting today, you say, Oi, Vey, I thought I visited the perfect church. <laughs> no, it's not. But we do worship a perfect God, and He will help us through it. Amen? We love you, Lord. Lift the hands of heaven. Men ought, always, ought to always pray lifting up holy hands. Funny how we don't like to do that. <laughs> Father, this lifting up of our hands is a universal sign of surrender. And so we surrender. We surrender to you right now, Holy Spirit. We surrender to you our mind, our thoughts, our attitudes, accusations that the devil wants to put in us, the vision that the devil wants to try to divide and conquer. Lord, we pray against that. We say, Satan, get behind us. We are moving as a unified force. We are moving to the glory of God, and we are going to see God break through and do great things in our midst today. Not only today, Lord, but in weeks to come, and I am praying to that end, and I am believing to that end, and I lock shields with my brothers and sisters this day. Help us, Lord. Unite us and strengthen us for your glory and for our good. And even so, Lord Jesus, come. Be a great day to rapture us out of here. In Jesus' name we bless you. And we all say, amen, amen, amen. Give it up for the Lord. Give it up for him. He is a great God. He is, he is a great God. Boy, if there's anything I learned from Randy that I really liked, I liked that one part. Turn to your neighbor and poke him in the eye and say, we walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> oh, that was a good line. Yeah, I don't really do it, Sebastian. <laughs> guys, you guys, you keep the fun and fundamental. All right. You know, today, I know the Lord has directed me to 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to gather around a communion table in a little bit. We're going to celebrate the one who gives to us what I call, frequently call communion, our common union. Our common union is Jesus Christ. He is our common union. And we are celebrating that today. 
We gather and to celebrate not only the common union that Christ has made and put within us, but here's something that I never really grasped until recently, as in the past few days. When it comes to communion, when it comes to this common union, it is not simply to commemorate and thank Jesus for what he has done. It is also to show the common union to the rest of the body and say, you know what, I am committed through this taking of communion. I am committing myself to honor and respect the body that Christ has placed me in. I am here to commit myself to one another. So when we look at our text here in a minute, we are going to look in a church known as the Corinthian church. It was a dysfunctional church. I mean, good night a lot. And you know what? I look back and say, man, 2,000 years ago, they had issues. And, and the church is still here today. Amen? That tells me that it's not someone natural building a church. It's someone supernatural has got to be building this church. Amen? The church, and I'm talking church, the universal church of God that is around this planet, if it depended on the natural to get it out of the first century, it never would have made it. If it depends on the natural to get it out of the 21st century, it'll never make it, right? But it is a supernatural that we must depend on. And the Lord Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. you believe that? I believe that. And so the revelation that God was showing me here is that what they were going through in, in this church at Corinth, I can draw and learn lessons from it. Now, listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, listen to this part. I am not drawing a comparison to the church at Corinth, to the church at New Life. Am I drawing a comparison? No. no. Oh, yeah, I like that. Turn to your neighbor and say no, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, God, you still remember? Good. This isn't a comparison. I want to look in there, and I want to see what they struggled with, and I want to draw out of it lessons for my life and for our life that we can learn from those pitfalls. Are you with me on this? Because I want to see where you stumbled, and I said, man, if there's a crack in the sidewalk and that thing's up, i got to be careful stepping over it. And so when I look here at this text, I want us to know, what can I learn from this text? What is it that the Lord is showing me from this church? Celebrating the common union. All right, now here's what happens typically from 1 Corinthians 11. When they celebrate communion, whoever it is jumps into verse 23, and then they roll from there. So let's do this. Here's how it's commonly done. Paul is writing, he says, For I receive the Lord. By the way, for means for the reason of, and for what I just said. So in other words, we never connect it back, but... For, the, for I received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you. So what I told you in the past, I got from the Lord, and that's why I passed it to you. And here's what it was. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Notice the possession. It's my body. I possess his body, but my body is being broken for you. Change of possession. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. And after what? After supper, it's going to be important to remember that. After supper, almost lost my place. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. And a lot of times we stop there and say, okay, let's all do communion. Sometimes we go down further. Verse 27 says this, Therefore, therefore means because of what I just said. You always want to know what's the therefore, therefore. And so you look back and said, this is what the therefore is there for. What I just said about Jesus and the Lord's Supper. Therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. We're going to cover that unworthy manner part later. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of the cup. For 
He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. Second time, only time used in Scripture. Eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And by the way, the Lord's body here is a double entendre. I think that's the name of it. Where it's not only referring to his body that was broken, but the Lord's body, the church body, which is what all of chapter 12 and chapter 11, 13, and 14 will be speaking of. Not discerning. Discerning means to think through and to think properly. The word judgment, we often think judgment is only condemnation. And we say, oh, you shouldn't judge me in a condemnation setting. But the word judgment literally means to, excuse me, to make a decision. So discern properly, evaluate properly, and make a decision on what your evaluation is. And so when he talks about judgment, there, he's not talking about judgment as far as condemnation, because the Bible never contradicts itself. And my Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Is that true? So he's not talking about condemnation here, is he? He is talking about decision-making process. The word judgment is the word decision. But it's scary how it's put in here. It says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. It literally refers to premature death. We're going to cover that, not to worry. For if we would judge ourselves, evaluate, make a decision concerning ourselves, we would not be judged outside of ourselves, evaluated, and made a decision of but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Okay, the Bible says that the Lord does not condemn us. Is that correct? No condemnation to them Christ Jesus. But the Bible says, but the Lord does correct us. Right? Because He loves us. And whom the Lord loves, the Lord chastens. And, and it's not to be, it's not condemnation. It's correction. It's in order to change Tim's direction, in order to change Tim's mind and thoughts and attitudes and whatever it might be. And we know Scripture, train up a child in a way he shall go, and when he is old, he will, what? Not depart from it. And we're all praying and can't wait till they get old. But the problem is when they're old, you're older, right? Train up a child. The word literally means the bits in a horse's mouth to train up a child. When the rain is pulled this way, it inflicts a little bit of pain. He goes, eh, i got to go this way. This way? Yeah, I think I'll go this way. He says, that, that's, what, that's what, how we correct and love our children, correct them and guide them. It's not punishment. It's correction. It's guidance. And, and so this is not speaking of God punishing us. And he says that you may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you Corinthians come together to eat, Wait one for another. Charmin, is your knee really bad? As she makes her way out, I need a couple prayer warriors to follow her out and pray for her if they don't mind. That's it. This is what it's about. Pray her through this. In Jesus' name, we ask for healing and help here, and that thing will be relieved. Amen. Warriors, amen. Oh, boy, I got a whole herd going. Amen. He goes on to say, But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Well, that's a strange entry. Lest you come together for judgment. In other words, amongst yourself and by each other. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Now here's what you need to understand about this. We lift the communion example out of Scripture because it's conveniently located here with what the Lord said. And it's even in red in some of our Bibles. Uh, but we never ask the question, why is this placed in 1 Corinthians? I mean, I see it in the Gospels. I can go to Matthew 26 and, and read about the Seder and the Lord's Supper there. But why is it in Corinthians? How come it's not in the other books of the Bible? You would have thought that it would have been the book of Hebrews. Because the Seder, the Passover feast, was a Jewish feast. So you would think it would be in a Jewish book called Hebrews. You would not think it would be in a Gentile book called Corinthians. So we look here, we have to say, what's going on? What is this? Here's what we need to understand. The church at Corinth, though Paul went to the Jews first, he also went to the Greeks. He is not around Israel right now, he is over in Greece. He is in the city of Corinth. 
people are getting saved. Many uh, Gentiles are being saved. They're in the house of God. Paul tells them about what took place at Passover and, and the Lord's Supper and communion. Paul delivered it. He explained how it went. And so what they did is say, hey, you know what? We are going to reenact that night. And we are going to start with supper. Because that evening started with supper. You remember that? It was a Jewish Passover. It was a Seder. And so they created what was known, and you'll find it in historians wrote about it. The book of Jude will also speak about it. It was called an agape feast, a love feast, a love meal. And <clears throat> interesting, they called it an agape, an unconditional love meal. And in this unconditional love meal, they would meet together, they would eat supper, and then they would have communion, common union at the end, because that's how they did it, and they were reenacting the, that evening in the upper room. That's why even many churches, even though the meal went by the wayside in, in some areas, uh, they celebrate communion as an ordinance, as they should, but some even to this day celebrate the foot washing. Where did that come from? Because they went back to Matthew 26, and they were trying to reenact that event. Are you with me on this? So they had this love meal, and they didn't have it every week. They, they had it on occasions, as often as they had this love meal. They were to come together, and they were recognizing this Lord's Supper, as we call the Last Supper as well. But it still doesn't answer my question. Why did Paul feel it was necessary to recapitulate what he had already taught them and put it in there for their understanding and admonishment again. Why did Paul insert it into Corinthians? Why did he put it, send it to that church? And the issue is because Paul was trying to use not to compare, but to contrast their behavior with what they're trying to celebrate and what was actually celebrated. So the communion, the common union, and the Corinthian behavior was in contrast to each other. It was in conflict to each other. And so it was inserted in here, and I think it does us well to see what it was that he put it in there to address. So follow with me now in verse 17. We backed up to verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, what instructions? The Lord's Supper. In giving these instructions, I do not praise you, Corinthians, since you come together not for the better, for the worse. So they're celebrating the Seder and coming together for the Lord's Supper. Then they have communion afterwards. Then they would have their service. And the Lord said, man, this, you're making things worse. And how do they do that? For first of all, when you come together as a church, a called out assembly, and notice all the time it says coming together, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. So Paul's saying, I heard a rumor. And I partially believe that rumor, but I can't fully believe it because it was a rumor. We understand how that works, right? Never played a telephone game. Praise the Lord, we live in Brown County. There are no rumors. <laughs> yeah, I, I still am amazed when I... Uh, got back late, late, late one night and went to Subway for a breakfast sandwich and someone said, how was your vacation? I didn't know it was a vacation. Praise the Lord, we don't, we don't deal with these things. Paul did, this Corinthian church did. There was rumors. And he said, I heard there was division. And then he says this, for there must also be, if there's division, there are also factions, sect, S-E-C-T, among you, that those who are approved may be re recognized among you. So there was some kind of approval system going on. Therefore, when you come together, he says again, in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's not talking about communion. He's talking about the Supper, the Seder. He says, you're coming together. It's not, you're not eating the Lord's Supper and the Seder. He says, for in eating, one takes his own supper ahead of another. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. Another has had plenty to drink. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God, the called out assembly, and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to this? Do I praise you? For I received the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you. Do you see the context in which that is given? 
He just, he is addressing them about the fact that they were celebrating a common union in an atmosphere of disunion, in an atmosphere of dysfunction. They were celebrating something glorious in a very difficult manner, bad manner. And I mean, they, but the crazy part was they, they didn't get it. They just continue with their, these agape feasts. When I looked at this, as I said, I, I'm not drawing comparisons. I'm drawing lessons out that I need to learn and we need to learn. When I looked here, I said, well, what was the cause of this disunity? And I see here there were different camps that were established. And actually, there were four camps. And these camps, in these camps, the members of whatever camp it might be, they all took care of the other members that were in that camp. But all each of those camps were centered around someone, something, or some, some opinion. And first of all, they forgot that, that it was not multiple camps. It is uh, the church of Christ is to be one encampment. And Jesus is to be the center of that encampment. Not a bunch of encampments. As a matter of fact, the church, a called out assembly, is to be like the tabernacle was in the wilderness. The tabernacle is right in the middle of 12 families. And let me tell you some families stick together as families, right? Families fight together as families, don't you? The scripture even says, recognize our brother is born for an adversity. Or born for adversity, Right? Hey, there's, I don't know about you. My brothers, they worked together on construction for a while there. And, uh, and man, one time they were on a project. They were taking it out in the grass, and the lady didn't know that they were siblings. And, and one brother was in the house doing something, and he said, Hey, uh, what was going on out there? I mean, they were literally in the grass. And, I mean, the way I know, because my one brother was taking pictures of the other two, One's on the ground. I didn't know he was on the ground until I could see his hand in the background poking him with a screwdriver. But he had full full insulated coveralls on. He wasn't really sticking them. But, you know, and I'm like, what's that picture? And, and the lady said, hey, what was going on out there? He goes, ah, we're just brothers. Sometimes you take it out in the grass and it's all good. I thought I heard something hit my window unit. They were, oh, that was my head. My other brother went, you know. I mean, those guys fought. I mean, they would kick eight-foot ladders out from each other. They were dangerous for each other. When one threw his salad at the other one's motorcycle and got covered it with uh, ranch dressing, that was the end of it. They literally broke up. And they went states apart. But, but the thing is, as families, 12 families camped around that tabernacle, the tabernacle, God's presence was supposed to be right in the middle of all of it. Every time, when they get up in the morning and they open their tent, they see God's glory. When they go to bed at night, as they head to their tent, they see God's glory before they go back into their tent. And so God was the center of their encampment. And the church of God is to be the center. Jesus is the center of this encampment located here on this hill in Brown County. He is to be the center of the encampment. But the problem was, he was not in the center of the encampment. Somebody else became the center of that encampment. And it was somebody that didn't even go to church there. That was crazy. Matter of fact, here's an astounding thing. 1 Corinthians begins with chapter 1. It's true. It's true. And in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes why he's writing this letter to them. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we all speak the same thing. There it is. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. That word perfectly is that same word used for maturity. Completely. Perfectly joined together in the same mind, not Tim's mind, not everyone else's mind, the mind of Christ, in the same mind and the same judgment. Interesting. Same decision-making process. For it has been declared to me concerning you. So now he's about to tell him where he got the rumor. My brethren, by those in Chloe's house. How would you hear about that? Chloe told me. Chloe was probably like, gee, thanks, Paul. You know, they're reading a letter to Corinthians. By the way, Chloe's probably shrunk down his seat. Like, it was told me by Chloe's household that there are contentions quarreling amongst you. 
Now I say this, here are the camps, that each of you say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, that is Peter, and then the real spiritual one said, I am of Christ. He says, is Christ divided? Even to those in the Christ camp? He says, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus. And, you know, he says, there were four camps. He says, Corinthians, there's four camps that I know, and I don't even go to church there. He says, there's four camps, and there's the Paul camp, and he says, and there's the Apollos camp, and then there's the, the Peter camp, and then there's the Christ camp. He says, what happened was that this encampment broke from one into other multiple encampments. And he said in verse 18 of chapter 11, he said, this has caused a rip, a division. It means to rip into one piece and rip into another piece and rip into another piece. He says, this has caused division. Now, it's interesting. I know you guys. I can, I can feel you in your mind say, tell us what that word means. It's the Greek word heresy. Now, when you and I think of heresy, we think of false doctrine. Oh, man, that's, that's heresy. You know, when, you, when you, you hear some of the belief systems out there, we should be able to recognize heresy. But what's interesting about this word, that this word is really not about uh, doctrine. It's about a belief system that dictated a behavior. You know what the word literally means when you boil it down? It means to storm a city. Aren't you glad that cleared it up? Like, whew, I heard that you guys were storming a city amongst you. It means to storm the city. It means to go to battle over something. That's the idea behind it. And it's also connected with the fact of making a choice. That which is chosen is that which you're willing to go to battle over. And he says, you guys, in each of these camps, you in a Paul camp, and you in a Peter camp, and, uh, and you in the Apollos camp, you guys are willing to go to battle with each other over uh, whatever issue that you glom on to Paul about, or you are glomming on to Apollos. Well, I think Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. Well, I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And they're all arguing. Even today they argue that one. You know who wrote the book of Hebrews? God wrote the book of Hebrews. It's divinely breathed and inspired. Who cares who held the pen? God wrote it. But they still argue over that. That a position, an opinion or a person for which you're willing to go to battle over. But the thing was, they were going to battle over people, Paul, Peter, Paulus, Christ. Can you imagine being in a Christ camp and you're still willing to go to battle with your brother and sister? Well, that's not like the real good camp. That's not like the real good spiritual one. He goes, yeah, but you're still doing this to each other, he says, to the Corinthians. And he says, and if this is going on, he said, then in verse 19, he says, there must also be factions. And that's an interesting verse 19. It says, For there must also be factions amongst you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So that's interesting because this idea is uh, there are groups gathered around. Now think of this. He said, If there are groups gathered around a person or personality like Paul or Paulus, if there's groups gathered around opinions, if there are groups that have been divided out within an encampment that should be together, he said, then there also must be these factions. And what's he mean by faction? Well, he told us that there was an approval system that approved you, and then before they recognized you, they would approve you to be part of the Paul group. Oh, you're going to be part of the Paul group? Okay, well, do you believe this about Paul and that about Paul? Yes, okay, you're in. Well, they said, well, no, I don't believe that about Paul, or I don't believe that about Apollos. Okay, you're out. And then, you know, but you say, well, shame on that Paul group. But guess what? So then they would have to go to the other group, and they had their own approval system. Do you believe this about Apollos? No. Oh, you're not in this one. Oh, man, then they got to go to the Peter group. And they, do, you, do you believe that Peter denied the Lord three times? Well, maybe two times. Okay, you're in. You see, there was this, each, each one of them was just as guilty as the other one. Each one of them had their you're in approval thing. So he said, if there are divisions in different camps, there's also got to be this faction that's taken place uh, where, where you have this approval system before they are allowed to join you. Bottom line was this. When it comes to the church at Corinth, the devil got in there and divided the camp. 
And the devil moved Jesus out of the center of the encampment and moved people or personalities or positions or opinions into each of the members of the camp within that assembly. And I looked at that and I was like, man, praise God that doesn't happen anymore in the planet Earth. No, I say praise God that he is a divine savior that builds his church with us, around us, through us, and his church will prevail. It is the divine thing, my friends. But he said to this church, he said, man, you got these groups and you're coming around opinions and people. And he says, but then you come together to celebrate an agape feast. And think of that, an unconditional love feast. They'd have been better off calling it the phileo feast. I think it actually works better. You know, phileo, brotherly love, remember? We're just going to call it the phileo feast. We'll just call it brother. But they said, no, we're going to call it the unconditional love, the unconditional love of God. And we're going to pull together and we're going to have dinner together and we're going we're gonna to eat together and it's going to be a pitching. It's going to B-Y-O-M, bring your own meal, right? And of course, B-Y-O-B, bring your own Bible. But we're going to meet together. And if you're in one group, and guess what? In that one, some groups, some groups ate high and, well, I wouldn't say high and high. Well, they're Gentiles. Yes, we can. They were, they were so full. They were so full. Our group, we take care of our own. Look at your group. Your group's hungry. Ha! You guys don't have something to drink. Man, I don't know what we're going to do with this jug of lemonade. Might as well pour it out. We can't finish it all. You see, praise God Christians don't treat each other like that, right? <laughs> They, they came and packed their own lunch for their own groups. And he says, and then you come together and say it's an unconditional love meal. And then yet you dishonored the encampment. And then he says, you are shaming your brothers and sisters that don't have what you have. And you're like, I'm so full. You got a digestive enzyme or something. Help me here. And others are like, man, I'm so hungry. He's saying this... That's not unconditional. You want to see unconditional love? I'll tell you unconditional love. Unconditional love is when there's only three pieces of chicken and there's four at the table and all of a sudden mom says, I'm not hungry. Here, honey, you, you eat the hot dog. Mom, have something. No, I'm, not, I'm fine. I'm, I'm not hungry. That's unconditional love at the meal. You know, that's what moms do. All of a sudden moms don't get hungry anymore. And then, because they know there's not enough food to go around sometimes, you know, they water the soup down as much as they can. It's good. We're good. Nah, poof. Can't eat another bite. That's unconditional love. That wasn't what they were doing at this church here. And so when you look at this, I want us to understand something that should help you in your personal life. Later in verse 27, when he says, speaks about those coming around the Lord's Supper. And here there was the agape feast. And he addresses their coming in an unworthy manner. He's saying, that's not the way you come. Here's the thing. Unworthy manner in Scripture here. He is not talking about personal private sin. Man, I had a terrible thought this afternoon. Man, I cut somebody off. I got mad at I-65. He's not talking about coming to God. And here's the problem. Preachers, I did it myself. You say, man, keep a short account with God, man. You got to get prayed up. You got to be confessed up. You got to be forgiven up. I want to tell you something. When God saved me, he forgave me and I'm forever forgiven. Forever forgiven in Jesus, not because of me. My sins and iniquities I will remember no more. So what's the unworthy behavior? Isn't it about me examining myself and saying, I got this and this and this? He goes, no, Tim, I, I... I've dealt with all this. Between you and I, I see you in Christ. I'm not talking vertically as the unworthy manner. I'm talking horizontally as the unworthy manner. I'm talking about issues with your brother. Leave your gift at the altar. Go make it right. And make sure that there's no issues this way. He's talking about public behavior in the church at Corinth. As unworthy manner. And we have to say, man, praise God, I can celebrate my worthiness in Jesus. Amen? But at the same manner, I have to be on that same level with my brother and sister. Got to be. And that's why 
when he says, when you celebrate the Lord's communion, the common union, he said, that's why Jesus took bread. And he said, this is my body. This thing belongs to me. This, this, I broke the bread. I could eat this bread. He goes, but you know what? This is my body. I'm breaking it for you. I, he goes, I want you to know that what I'm doing is not selfish, but it's selfless. What I'm doing it isn't focused on me. It's sacrificing for you. What I'm doing is, is not showing partiality to some. It's giving myself to all. And whosoever will may come. And whosoever will may partake. I died sacrificially for you. I didn't keep myself to, to myself. I didn't keep my own glory. I surrendered my glory and humbled myself to be a man and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I did it all for you. And he says, would you remember not just what I did, but that I did it for you. So that when you celebrate that, you then, the same way I sacrifice, you sacrifice. You sacrifice your desires. You sacrifice your own way. You sacrifice your favorite seat for someone. You sacrifice music for someone. You sacrifice the, the preaching and the whatever. It's say you are, are be willing to do what he did, and that, that is the forego. Give deference to your brother, to your sister, to allow yourself to honor them. Because he says that he says to the Corinthian church, your position, your opinions, your broke up encampments, that doesn't bring unity. Jesus says, I bring unity. Jesus is the only reason that I know any of you guys here today. If it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't know you. Now some of you think, oh, that's not too bad. <laughs> hey, you're stuck with me. I mean, we go <laughs> today. And I'll still be up there. I'll probably, I'm probably going to be the only one reprimanded in heaven. Tim, did you really spit off the top of New Jerusalem? Just to see how long it would take to get down there? Yes. This is one of my things I like to do, just to see. You know, but, but the thing is, he's saying, you're coming together to celebrate something. Look to me, act like me, give like me. Treat others like me. Place others ahead of yourself like I did. That's what communion's about. Communion is about coming together and saying, you know what? It's not just me saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. It's me discerning the Lord's body and say, Lord, thank you. I've been made right through the blood of Jesus Christ this way. Help me to keep you as a center of my encampment this way. Help me not to let the devil divide me out and split me up. Because let me tell you something, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And he does it day and night. He accuses us to the Father day and night. And it's the only time, at least in my life, I say it's probably the only time when he accuses me to God that the devil's not lying. He doesn't have to lie. He says, but praise God, I have a Savior. He says, yeah, but I died for those sins. That's been washed in the blood of Christ. So he, he finds nothing this way when he accused me to the Father. But then he accuses us to each other. And he said, did you see what she said? Did you hear what he said? Did you see that look? Did you, you know, people have things going on in their mind and life and their journey that you know nothing of. You can't judge a book by the cover, can we? And then he accuses us to ourself. What kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian do you think you are? Look at all the problems you have. Let me tell you something. He is a punk, isn't he? And we need to realize that whenever there is a rip or a tear, it needs to be mended. But it needs to be mended properly. And that's one of the amazing things that he speaks of them coming together for the worse. He speaks about rips that are taking place in their, in their church there at Corinth. And I found it interesting that there's one other place in the scripture where division or rips and worse are found in the same context. And it was Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 9. In verse 16, he said this, No man sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on old garment. No man sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment and tear, and the tear is worse. The word tear, division. 
and the rip is worse. So do you see what he, he's, he's giving us a little tailoring lessons because he was a tailor. So was Adam, right? So the, the garments together in the garden. He gives us a tailoring lesson and he says, you know that if you have a, a older pair of pants and you have a rip in it, then you're cool. No, that's another thing. And you want to patch it. He says, you can't take a, a new piece of cloth and patch an old garment. And why? Because when you wash it, in the immediate it looks good. You just patch the problem, no problem. And immediate it looks good. But in the long run, when you wash it, that fabric's going to shrink and it's going to pull together. And where it was sewn into the fabric is going to pull it in and rip it. And a rip that was that wide is now that wide. You follow this? And he says, so if you're going to patch a garment, an old garment, he says, you have to properly prepare the patch before you put it on the garment. You have to shrink, pre-shrink the patch so that once you sew it on, it doesn't shrink and rip the garment further. You follow me in this? The amazing part that I find is that this is a picture of how to sew and prepare a rip, how to repair, rather, this rip, but it's also to show us the need for preparation of the patch. You see, the word pride means to puff up, to expand. The word humble means to shrink and to pull in. John the Baptist says, Christ must increase, I must decrease. You see, friends, when I look at this, I realize the greatest rip that ever existed was between God and man. And Jesus didn't come in pride and whip everybody into subjection because that patch wouldn't work. If he's going to patch things up, up between us and God, Jesus came and humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and was obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. And so when I look at this, I am reminded that when they celebrate communion, when they came together, I am reminded that there is but one camp. And if tears and rips start, then all of us must make sure that we prepare our hearts and humble ourselves to say, how can I mend this rip? How can I, by God's grace, the grace that just sews us back together? And friends, I, I'm believing this. I need, I need your prayers in that area. If there's anything I can battle, I can battle pride. You can't be good, this good looking and not have pride. <laughs> just kidding. I'm humble and proud of it. No. no, you know what? I can... And God says, no, Tim, you need to... Pray for humility. And I mean that in all sincerity. That we all can be humble enough that, you know what? We're a bunch of broken people trying to do a perfect thing, and that is to worship a perfect God. A guy can pick the pieces up, sew them back together, and work things through. That's my heart's desire for new life, is that we always keep Jesus as center of our encampment. And we realize it's not just about remembering what he did in our life, but remembering that what he did is that what we are to do amongst each other. Because whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, that you do unto me. Right? I'm going to have Kara. She's going to come and play for us on the keyboard as we gather around the communion table. And I'm going to do it a little different today. Adrian, would you help me here for a second? Adrian, the man. Don't let your muscles break the wood. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Instead of having the ushers pass out the elements, you know, be real formal, have our badges and just do it. You know what? I said, you know what I'm going to ask? I have stations here, I have here, here, in the back. I'm going to ask, would you serve one another? Would someone just get up and serve your area, serve your people, serve the folks that are in your, your area? Just, just come. I'm going to ask you to hold the elements until all are served. Make sure your brother and sister has what they need.
guys to just just think, meditate, process. about can you imagine being in that church at Corinth one group's eating a big old meal and the other's going hungry man then they celebrated communion common union and yet they didn't behave that way I praise God for our church I tell you we're family we struggle we arm wrestle we take it out in the grass but at the end of the day you know what we have a common union as Jesus Christ. And if we can't gather around Jesus and get stronger and work through our challenges, if we can't gather around Jesus and do that, then we can't gather around anything. Because Jesus is the only one. He's the only one that can bring unity in our lives. And that's what this cup's all about. What's everybody? Is there anyone that hasn't been served in? Anyone that has not been served yet? A couple in that back row again. It's getting around there. How oh, nice. People that... You balcony folks, you have stuff up there? You have the elements, rather? Stuff. Good. Good. Someone said, is anybody serving the balcony? Good catch. That's what we want. Is somebody else helping that person? Making sure someone else is taken care of. That's what it's about. If you have the bread in front of you, is there anyone not still serving some? you take that bread. I'm not going to partake and eat it yet, but I want you to just hold it and think about it. This is a symbol. This is a symbol of Jesus, broken body. But it's not just a symbol of his body broken for us. It is a symbol of our commitment to each other. And so as we think of this, I want you to realize we are saying thank you, Jesus, for what you did to me for me. But we're also saying, Lord, I commit myself to honor my brothers, to honor my sisters, to respect my brothers, respect my sisters. I commit myself to this body. Just as you allowed your body to be broken for them, I am willing, I am willing to take the breaking, the brokenness for me on their behalf. I am willing to step up and I'm willing to be inconvenienced. I'm willing to go without that whatever part of the meal so my kids could eat. I'm willing to, to go without so that others might be blessed. That's what service is about. That's what ministry is about. Father, as we take this bread, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for saying to us, this is my body. But I'm breaking it for you. This is my life, but I'm laying it down for you. Lord, you did that for us. There's nothing we can't do for someone else. Help us to show them the deference. Help us to show them respect. Help them to, us to show them honor. Help us to realize that there's only one in the center of our encampment, and that's Jesus. So as we take this bread, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us this valuable lesson in the Corinthian church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake. You know, when he took the bread, he celebrated his brokenness and his willingness to humble himself, become a man, to take on a body, a form of a man. To humble himself that he might give himself to others. Almost unending, three years. People constantly after him for help, constantly after him for ministry. That was his broken body. But when he took the cup, that represented his blood. That represented his very life. That once I give this, there's nothing else to give.
I'm going to now die for you, he says, church body. And he says, what I want you to do in Corinth and what I want you to do in New Life, he says, is to have a heart that is so great for each other that doesn't just love God, but loves people enough to say, you know what? I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to die for you, man. For a good man would one scarcely die. But yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Take a bullet for you. I mean, would you really do that for your brother and sister in Christ? There's going to come a time when people confess Christ. They're going to get their head lobbed off. Praise God, we'll be gone before that tribulation. Man. But would you stand up and say, yeah, I'll confess Christ. Or yeah, I'll, I'll take it for my brother and sister. We don't want any woundings. Jesus said, I took woundings. So I call us today as we celebrate the giving of his life to say, well, I honor my brother and sister not to give my life for him. Man, when you got that kind of love for somebody, you got some love for somebody. So, Father, as we take this cup that your son handed us, you loved us enough to die for us. Not because we we're good people. But while we we're yet sinners, you did this. I have no idea why you would do that for us other than your great love and if you would do that for me Lord and the least I can do is extend that love to my brothers and sisters in Christ extend that put my life on a line so that theirs doesn't get injured to jump in front of that bullet to say I'll, I'll protect you we need to be there one for another through thick and thin Jesus as the center of our encampment, we can and we will. And so, Father, today I personally commit myself to that cause. I don't want to take this in an unworthy manner. I want to take this in a manner that says, Lord, by your grace, I will be and do what you, your son, was and does. And so I take this cup today in his honor and your body's honor. In Jesus' name. God is good. Amen? All the time. We say all the time, God is good. I'm sure glad Jesus saved you guys. I wouldn't want to have been the only one saved. And he came for sinners. I was glad to find out there were other sinners that needed saving. It's like, yes! Carol? Oh, I thought you had a hand up. You're just blocking the sun. I'm sorry. I thought you had a question. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. Because after they celebrated the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Common Union, it says they sang a hymn and then they went out into the garden. Our musicians are coming. Singing together helps pull us together. Pray for myself. Pray for the staff. Pray for these that I dearly love and respect and honor. That God will just help them to fly in their dreams to help the burdens be lifted to unity to come and be stronger and we just press on for the cause of Christ let's sing together let's sing together the altar's open and maybe you just want to come and lay down a burden ministry team people be here to pray for it maybe you just need to come lay a burden down as others are coming you come you need healing listen by his stripes we're healed we recognize communion that by his stripes we are healed not by other means he's a great physician come let us pray for your healing